0: Well, hello there, my friends. It is May 23rd. My name is Bill, and we are here with Bible in a Year with Bill. Today is day 142. So we've done 142 days of this getting together every day like this. This is fantastic. I'm, you know, it's, it's amazing how quickly time goes. Anyway, today we're going to be reading from 1 Samuel, chapters 23 to 25, and then we're going to finish off today's reading with Proverbs, chapter 28, verses 1 to 14, so let's get right into it. The book of 1 Samuel, chapter 23. It was reported to David that the Philistines were raiding Keilah and looting the grain, David went in prayer to God, should I go after these Philistines and teach them a lesson? God said, go attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said, we live in fear of our lives right here in Judah. How can you think of going to Keilah in the thick of the Philistines? So David went back to God in prayer. God said, get going head for Keilah. I'm placing the Philistines in your hands. David and his men went to Kelah and fought the Philistines. He scattered their cattle, beat them decisively, and saved the people of Kelah. After Abiathar took refuge with David, he joined David in the raid on Kelah, bringing the ephod with him. Saul learned that David had gone to Kelah and thought immediately, Good! God has handed him to me on a platter. He's in a walled city with locked gates, trapped! Saul mustered his troops for battle and set out for Calah to lay siege to David and his men. But David got wind of Saul's strategy to destroy him and said to Abiathar the priest, Get the ephod. Then David prayed to God, God of Israel, I've just heard that Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the city because of me. Will the city fathers of Calah turn me over to him? Will Saul come down and do what I've heard? O oh God, God of Israel, tell me. God replied, he's coming down. And will the head men of Keilah turn me and my men over to Saul? And God said, they'll turn you over. So David and his men got out of there. There were about 600 of them. They left Keilah and kept moving, going here, there, wherever, always on the move. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he called off the raid. David continued to live in desert hideouts and the backcountry wilderness hills of Ziph. Saul was out looking for him day after day, but God never turned David over to him. David kept out of the way in the wilderness of Ziph, secluded at Horish, since it was plain that Saul was determined to hunt him down. Jonathan, Saul's son, visited David at Horish and encouraged him in God. He said, Don't despair. My father, Saul, can't lay a hand on you. You will be Israel's king, and I'll be right at your side to help. And my father knows it. Then the two of them made a covenant before God. David stayed at Horish, and Jonathan went home. Some Ziphites went to Saul at Gibeah and said, Did you know that David is hiding out near us in the caves and canyons of Horish? Right now he's at Hakila Hill, just south of Jeshimon. So whenever you're ready to come down, we'll count it an honor to hand him over to the king. Saul said, God bless you for thinking about me. Now go back and check everything out. Learn his routines. Observe his movements, where he goes, who he's with. He's very shrewd, you know. Scout out all his hiding places. Then meet me at Nacon and I'll go with you. If he is anywhere to be found in all the thousands of of Judah, I'll track him down. So the Ziphites set out on their reconnaissance for Saul. Meanwhile, David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the desert south of Jeshimon. Saul and his men arrived and began their search. When David heard of it, he went south to Rock Mountain, camping out in the wilderness of Maon. Saul heard where he was and set off for the wilderness of Maon in pursuit. Saul was on one side of the mountain, David and his men on the other. David was in full retreat, running with Saul and his men closing in, about to get him. Just then a messenger came to Saul and said, hurry, come back. The Philistines have just attacked the country. So Saul called off his pursuit of David and went back to deal with the Philistines. That's how that place got the name, Narrow Escape. David left there and camped out in the caves and canyons of En Gedi. 1 Samuel chapter 24. When Saul came back after dealing with the Philistines, he was told, David is now in the wilderness of En Gedi. Saul took three companies, the best he could find in all Israel, and set out in search of David and his men in the region of wild goat rocks. He came to some sheep pens along the road. There was a cave there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were huddled far back in the same cave. David's men whispered to him, can you believe it? This is the day God was talking about when he said, I'll put your enemy in your hands. You can do whatever you want with him. Quiet as a cat, David crept up and cut off a piece of Saul's royal robe. Immediately he felt guilty. He said to his men, "'God forbid that I should have done this to my master. God's anointed that I should so much as raise a finger against him. He's God's anointed.' David held his men in check with these words and wouldn't let them pounce on Saul. Saul got up, left the cave, and went on down the road. Then David stood at the mouth of the cave and called to Saul, "'My master, my king!' Saul looked back. David fell to his knees and bowed in reverence. He called out, Why do you listen to those who say David is out to get you? This very day with your very own eyes you have seen that just now in the cave God put you in my hands. My men wanted me to kill you, but I wouldn't do it. I told them that I won't lift a finger against my master. He's God's anointed. Oh, my father, look at this. Look at this piece that I cut from your robe. I could have cut you, killed you, but I didn't. Look at the evidence. I'm not against you. I'm no rebel. I haven't sinned against you, and yet you're hunting me down to kill me. Let's decide which of us is in the right. God may avenge me, but it is in his hands, not mine. An old proverb says, evil deeds come from evil people, so be assured that my hand won't touch you. "'What does the king of Israel think he's doing? "'Who do you think you're chasing, a dead dog, a flea? "'God is our judge, he'll decide who is right. "'Oh, that he would look down right now, "'decide right now, and set me free of you.' "'When David had finished saying all this, Saul said, "'Can this be the voice of my son David?' "'And he wept in loud sobs. "'You're the one in the right, not me,' he continued. "'You've heaped good on me, I've dumped evil on you, "'and now you've done it again, treated me generously.' God put me in your hands and you didn't kill me. Why? When a man meets his enemy, does he send him down the road with a blessing? May God give you a bonus of blessings for what you've done for me today. I know now beyond doubt that you will rule as king. The kingdom of Israel is already in your grasp. Now promise me under God that you will not kill off my family or wipe my name off the books. David promised Saul, then Saul went home, and David and his men went up into their wilderness refuge. 1 Samuel chapter 25. Samuel died. The whole country came to his funeral. Everyone grieved over his death, and he was buried in his hometown of Ramah. Meanwhile, David moved again this time to the wilderness of Maon. There was a certain man in Maon who carried on his business in the region of Carmel. He was very prosperous, 3,000 sheep and a 1,000 goats, and it was sheep-shearing time in Carmel. The man's name was Nabal, which means fool, a Calebite, and his wife's name was Abigail. The woman was intelligent and good-looking, the man brutish and mean." David, out in the back country, heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep and sent ten of his young men off with these instructions. Go to Carmel and approach Nabal. Greet him in my name. Peace, life and peace to you. Peace to your household. Peace to everyone here. I heard that it's sheep shearing time. Here's the point. When your shepherds were camped near us, we didn't take advantage of them. They didn't lose a thing all the time they were with us in Carmel. Ask your young men. They'll tell you. What I'm asking is that you be generous with my men. Share the feast. Give whatever your heart tells you to your servants and to me, David, your son. David's young men went and delivered his message word for word to Nabal. Nabal tore into them. Who is this, David? Who is this son of Jesse? The country is full of runaway servants these days. Do you think I'm going to take good bread and wine and meat freshly butchered for my sheep shearers and give it to men I've never laid eyes on? Who knows where they've come from? David's men got out of there and went back and told David what he had said. David said, strap on your swords. They all strapped on their swords. David and his men and set out 400 of them. 200 stayed behind to guard the camp. Meanwhile, one of the young shepherds told Abigail, Nabal's wife, what had happened. David sent messengers from the back country to salute our master, but he tore into them with insults. Yet these men treated us very well. They took nothing from us and didn't take advantage of us all the time we were in the fields. They formed a wall around us, protecting us day and night all the time we were out tending the sheep. Do something quickly because big trouble is ahead for our master and all of us. Nobody can talk to him. He's impossible, a real brute. Abigail flew into action. She took two hundred loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep dressed out and ready for cooking, a bushel of roasted grain, a hundred raisin cakes, and two hundred fig cakes, and she had it all loaded on some donkeys. Then she said to her young servants, go ahead and pave the way for me, I'm right behind you. But she said nothing to her husband Nabal. As she was riding her donkey descending into a ravine, David and his men were descending from the other end, so they met there on the road. David had just said, that sure was a waste guarding everything this man had out in the wild so that nothing he had was lost, and now he rewards me with insults, a real slap in the face. May God do his worst to me if Nabal and every cur in his misbegotten brood aren't dead meat by morning." As soon as Abigail saw David, she got off her donkey and fell on her knees at his feet, her face to the ground in homage, saying, My master, let me take the blame. Let me speak to you. Listen to what I have to say. Don't dwell on what that brute Nabal did. He acts out in the meaning of his name. Nabal, fool. Foolishness oozes from him. I wasn't there when the young men my master sent arrived. I didn't see them. And now, my master, as God lives and as you live, God has kept you from this avenging murder. And may your enemies, all who seek my master's harm, end up like Nabal. Now take this gift that I, your servant girl, have brought to my master and give it to the young men who follow in the steps of my master. Forgive my presumption, but God is at work in my master, developing a rule solid and dependable. My master fights God's battles. As long as you live, no evil will stick to you. If anyone stands in your way, if anyone tries to get you out of the way, know this. Your God-honored life is tightly bound in the bundle of God-protected life. But the lives of your enemies will be hurled aside as a stone is thrown from a sling. When God completes all the goodness he has promised my master and sets you up as prince over Israel, my master will not have this dead weight in his heart, the guilt of an avenging murder. And when God has worked things for good for my master, remember me. And David said, blessed be God, the God of Israel. He sent you to me and blessed be your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and taking charge of looking out for me. A close call. As God lives, the God of Israel who kept me from hurting you, if you had not come as quickly as you did, stopping me in my tracks, by morning there would have been nothing left of Nabal but dead meat. Then David accepted the gift she had brought him and said, return home in peace. I've heard what you've said and I'll do what you've asked. When Abigail got home, she found Nabal presiding over a huge banquet. He was in high spirits and very, very drunk. So she didn't tell him anything of what she'd done until morning. But in the morning after Nabal had sobered up, she told him the whole story. Right then and there, he had a heart attack and fell into a coma. About 10 days later, God finished him off and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, "'Blessed be God who has stood up for me against Nabal's insults, kept me from an evil act, and let Nabal's evil boomeranging back on him.'" Then David sent for Abigail and tell her that he wanted her for his wife. David's servants went to Abigail at Carmel with the message, David sent us to bring you to marry him. She got up and then bowed down face to the ground saying, I'm your servant ready to do anything you want. I'll even wash the feet of my master's servants. Abigail didn't linger. She got on her donkey and with her five maids in attendance, went with the messengers to David and became his wife. David also married Ahinoam of Jezreel. Both women were his wives. Saul had married off David's wife Michal to Palti or Paltiel, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. Proverbs chapter twenty-eight, verses one to fourteen. The wicked are edgy with guilt, ready to run off even when no one's after them. Honest people are relaxed and confident, bold as lions. When the country is in chaos, everybody has a plan to fix it, but it takes a leader of real understanding to straighten things out. The wicked who oppress the poor are like a hailstorm that beats down the harvest. If you desert God's law, you're free to embrace depravity. If you love God's law, you fight for it tooth and nail. Justice makes no sense to the evil-minded. Those who seek God know it inside and out. It's better to be poor and direct than rich and crooked. Practice God's law. Get a reputation for wisdom. Hang out with a loose crowd and embarrass your family. Get as rich as you want through cheating and extortion, but eventually some friend of the poor is going to give it all back to them. God has no use for the prayers of the people who won't listen to him. Lead good people down a wrong path and you'll come to a bad end. Do good and you'll be rewarded for it. The rich think they know it all, but the poor can see right through them. When good people are promoted, everything is great, but when the bad are in charge, watch out. You can't whitewash your sins and get by with it. You find mercy by admitting and leaving them. A tender-hearted person lives a blessed life. A hard-hearted person lives a hard life. So, David felt bad for cutting a corner off of Saul's robe. The man who was hell-bent on seeing the death of David. Saul was on a blood hunt for David. He would do anything to see the death of him. But the Lord stepped in. He delivered Saul into David's hands. It would have been like taking candy from a baby. Let's face it. The Bible says that Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. We all know what that means. He went to have a poop. And when are we most vulnerable? when we are pooping. This is quite a picture. King Saul squatting in a cave, indisposed, shall we say, and David sneaks up on him and cuts a corner off of his robe. Clearly, this was a huge opportunity for David to put an end to Saul's endless pursuit of him. God had wrapped up Saul like a Christmas present and even put a bow on it by having Saul in such a vulnerable position. David could have stood over Saul, looked into his eyes, and ended it right there. He would have been justified in this. But no, he cut a piece of his robe and immediately felt guilty about it. Now that, my friends, is an honourable man. He regretted even lifting a finger against God's anointed. It can be so hard to not give in to thoughts of vengeance and revenge when somebody does us wrong. Sure, Saul felt guilt and remorse knowing that David spared his life, but it sure didn't last very long. In no time, Saul was out to get him again. Romans chapter 12 verse 14 commands us to bless those who persecute you, bless and don't curse them. That is a tall order. Sometimes it seems like it would feel so good to bury your enemies under a truckload of manure. But honestly, all that will do is escalate the feud. And where will that get you? Bible in a Year with Bill is a daily journey into the message paraphrase of the Bible. Join me each day as we delve into the Word in a contemporary, easy-to-understand language. I'll be here tomorrow. I hope to see you then. Take care now.